You're listening to an adult Sunday school class at Redeemer Church, a PCA congregation in Hudson, Ohio. For more information, visit us at RedeemerOhio.org. Well, uh, good morning. Um, it is great to great to be back. Um, I feel like I missed a week of my life um, being sick. Um, missed being here last Sunday for one, but then just it's been. Uh, I'm glad I'm recovered. I'm very thankful for that. Um, we are going through our shorter catechism, uh, the Westminster Shorter Catechism, and we are in the section on the Ten Commandments right now. If you don't have a copy of the catechism, we have many up here. Um, and if you would like to, so if you'd like to follow along, you can pull one up on your phone. Here. Thank you, Ron. Um, and so anybody, just raise your hand. Ron will bring you one. Um, and you can follow along. We begin in question 73 this morning. And the Shorter Catechism, again, you know, we, we try to do this from time to time, just to remind us, this is a, one of our doctrinal standards of the church. This is what all of our officers affirm and hold to and say, this is what we believe Scripture teaches. And so this whole document, along with the Westminster Confession of Faith and the larger catechism, and, uh, and they are a guide for us as officers and as teachers and leaders in church. This is, this is to help us understand Scripture. We believe it, it encapsulates scripture. And it's also to guide us, to help us in, in ministry and in life for all things. And so what we're doing is to walk through the shorter catechism so that we all can see the riches of, of biblical theology and scripture, and we see how it comes to bear in our lives. And so we're coming to the Ten Commandments. Um, and we, uh, it has an exposition of each of the commandments. And we do this not to lay the law on our back so that we would earn our salvation, uh, but this is for us now uh, as creatures made new to help us learn how to obey Christ, uh, enabled by the Spirit. So we're not coming to this to say, you know, do this and you shall live, uh, obey this and you will have eternal life. No, this is for those who look to Christ to know how to walk. It's also uh, for all of us to understand the greatness of our own sin. Uh, we see, oh man, I have violated the eighth commandment. Um, oh man, I am um, a sinner. I do need Christ and see how Christ has fulfilled it for us. So it brings us back to Christ over and over and shows us now in uh, how we can endeavor after new obedience together. So we are at the eighth commandment uh, coming towards the conclusion here. And so we'll just start, uh, I'll just start with question 73. What is the eighth commandment? The eighth commandment is thou shalt not steal. Um, so we're going to begin. I'm sure you all know this. It's very short. Um, I want to begin maybe in an unlikely place this morning, and I want to start in Matthew chapter 25. Um, if you have a Bible, uh, I invite you to turn there um, to Matthew chapter 25, and we're going to look at this um, parable of Jesus, the parable of the talents. And I think it's going to illuminate us as we go forward and really get at some of these underlying principles um, underlying the Eighth Commandment. So I'm going to read this, Matthew 25, verses 14 through 30, the parable of the talents. And this is Jesus speaking um, in light of what he said, no one knows the day or the hour. The Son of Man will return in glory. He's going to come back. Um, and uh, he's telling now a series of parables. And uh, beginning of, uh, of chapter 25, says, he says, then the kingdom of heaven will be like. And so that's what we import here at the beginning of verse 14. For it, the kingdom of heaven will be like a man 
going on a journey, who called his servants and entrusted them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded them with him, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid the master's money. Now, after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here, I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also, who had the two talents, came forward, saying, Master, you delivered me to, to me two talents. Here, I have made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also, who had received the one talent, came forward, saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gathered where I scattered no seed? Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at the coming I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has ten talents. For to everyone who has will more be given, and he who and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. All right, you may be, hmm, let's see here. Let's try this again. All right, you may be wondering, okay, what does this have to do with the Eighth Commandment? So here, let me, let me explain um, what I think is going on here. And so we have this talent. It's, this is a monetary unit um, in, in the ancient Roman culture, Greco-Roman culture. And you see the ESV, the footnote says it's about, what, five years wage or about a year's wages. And so, um, no, that's not right. What does it say? Five, 20 years wages. Yes, 20 years wages for labor. So say 50,000 a year, 20 years, maybe we're being generous, about a million dollars for each of these talents. It's worth a million dollars. And so the setup here is all these three people are given money, whether it's five, two, or one. Is that right? Five, two, or one? Um, Five, two, or one. Um, Some have more, but everybody is responsible for what they do with that money. You're given money, and, you're, and they're told to be responsible with it. This isn't their money. They're not given to do whatever they want. They're given as given this money to be stewards. And so the takeaway of the parable is this. There's a couple of points, but the one I want to draw out is that how you use your material resources is a spiritual issue, Jesus says. It's a spiritual issue. If you don't use them in service of the king, you will be cast into utter darkness, But for those who look at God and understand his gracious disposition towards them and who look to him in faith and understand the graciousness of God and understand that all things belong to him and use their resources in a way that honors the king, right? They, well done, good and faithful servant. 
This isn't salvation by works, but the point is how you use your material resources is a spiritual issue, and it depends on what you believe about God. And it's interesting, this word talent has come into English to mean, what does it mean now? What does talent mean when we say it in English? Ability, right? Yeah, usually you think of like some natural endowment. Oh, he's so talented, you know, at the sport or whatever. She's talented at music, whatever. Um, it's some natural endowment, something they've been given. And it actually just comes from this parable. And they're broadening it from just being given money to being given now abilities as well. And I think that's actually a good way now to come back to the Eighth Commandment and understand the Eighth Commandment as it speaks of physical things. Do not steal physical things. Actually, let's broaden that. Think of all things that are created creator has endowed us with, um, and all of our talents. And so let's look at the eighth commandment in light of that. And so the point is this, I think this is under undergirding the eighth commandment, that all things are from God and are to be used for his glory. Everything we have is from God. Everything everybody else has is from God and is to be used for his purposes. Uh, it's not my money, but I'm a steward of God's resources. It's not my physical talents or special abilities, whatever you have. They're God's that he's given you for his glory. And so we see the negative side drawn out in the eighth commandment that God's given you what you have, so don't take from other people. He's given you what you have and what you need. Don't take from other people, but instead use what God has given you. Uh, Thomas Watson, um, I think, diagnosed as well uh, with asking the question, why do we steal? Just think of the, the, the standard, you know, walk into the convenience store, steal a pack of gum. Like, why do you steal? And there's, there's, he says, internally, there's two things going on. First and foremost, we steal because of an unbelief in God and his providence, providence to care for us. Because we don't believe God is providentially caring for us. We don't trust God or believe him that he is good. And then that second leads, uh, the second piece goes alongside of that is covetousness, right? When we want something, God hasn't given me what I wanted or what I think I need. And there's a covetousness, so that's the 10th commandment, that comes alongside of that. Then we steal. Then we take that which God has not rightfully given to us. So I think that's a, a good diagnosis. Ultimately, it's unbelief that leads to stealing. We don't trust that God has given us what we need. Um, and then some of the positive direction that this moves, we see in Ephesians 4, 28, where Paul uh, is, is quoting this commandment, let the thief no longer steal, right? So, so if it's talking about now uh, in Christ, how we live as now new creation, said, no, if you're, a, if you're a thief, you now no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. So the opposite of do not steal, or, or, or the way you obey the commandment to do not steal is not simply don't steal, but you actually, to obey this commandment, you work and you give. That's really what's going on in this commandment. What you have is from God, you work hard, and you use the resources God's given you to bless others. You use it for God's glory. So that's really uh, what's going on here in the Eighth Commandment. Let's go to the text here of our catechism, um, and then we'll, we'll unpack this some more. I'll, actually, before we do that, I'll pause. Uh, I'll pause for these kind of overarching kind of biblical points here. Do you see the connection to the Eighth Commandment? Okay. 
All right, so let's look at uh, the catechism, and we'll look at questions 74, 75. I'm just going to read them both, and then we'll, we'll kind of stop and go back um, and consider them both. And remember, what the catechism usually says is what's required here, what does it positively call us to do, and then negatively, what do we not do in light of this commandment? So 74, what is required in the Eighth Commandment? The Eighth Commandment requireth the lawful procuring and furthering the wealth and outward estate of ourselves and others. The lawful procuring and furthering the wealth and outward estate of ourselves and others. And we see that in Paul's uh, command in Ephesians 4. He says, you don't just steal, you work so that you can give. Right? We're, we're, we care about the outward estate and the wealth of others. We are called to pursue the wealth of others and the outward estate of others. We'll circle back to that. Let's go to 75. Um, and I want to start really here. What is forbidden in the Eighth Commandment? This is a little more um, straightforward. The Eighth Commandment forbiddeth whatsoever doth or may unjustly hinder our own or our neighbor's wealth or outward estate. And it's interesting. He doesn't just say our neighbor's outward estate. He's actually speaking of yourself as well, right? We can't just waste our own money. We can't, um, we can't unjustly hinder our own wealth or outward estate. I want to look at um, the application of this, particularly within the context of the Old Covenant. And I didn't mean to put all those up at one time. Oh, well, here we go. Um, so in the Old Testament, uh, there were a number of particular applications of this commandment. So let's begin with Exodus 21, where the Eighth Commandment applies to humans. Uh, Exodus 21, 16, whoever steals a man and sells him, and anyone found in possession of him shall be put to death. Right? Thou shalt not steal a person, a human being. And we see here, really, the, the foundation for... Um, so this is a, a moral law now fleshed out in a civil context of the Old Testament Israel, Israelites. But we see the moral principle of do not steal humans, people. You cannot steal and take people. They cannot belong to you in the way of, for example, in our own country, the race-based chattel slavery of literally stealing people from their home, taking them somewhere and selling them to make a profit. That is, in the Old Testament, that would be a capital um, crime to commit. And so this one verse really undercuts all of American slavery, the practice of, of American slavery on this continent, uh, and, and much of that in Europe as well around the same time. Um, so human, um, human theft is wrong, a violation of God's law. And probably it's the most heinous of all of the ways to break this commandment. Um, and I do want to note, it's not just whoever steals the man and sells him, right? That's bad. But anyone found in possession of him, Right, so you can't just put these uh, these slave owners um, and just say, you know, I'm thinking of American slave owners, right? We can't just say, well, they didn't actually take the guy or the family or the girl or whoever it was. They didn't actually take him, so ah, no big deal, right? They were available and they were using them for resource on the land. Absolutely not, right? It, even if you're found in possession of a stolen person, you must immediately return that person to their home. Um, so, uh, this applies to humans. Second, it applies to land. Deuteronomy 19.14, you shall not move your neighbor's landmark. 
which the men of old have set in the inheritance that you will hold in the land that the Lord your God is giving you to possess. So these landmarks literally just marked division of property and who owned what part of it. That's the old way they surveyed the property and they'd lay down landmarks. So if you move the landmark over, you know, 50 feet, 50 more feet next year, 50, you're, you're, you're stealing somebody else's apportionment. And this is actually even more heinous under the Old Testament because this is the apportionment that God gave to each tribe. And every year of Jubilee, that land reverted back to the original family owner. And if you're stealing from them, you're really stealing God's blessing upon his people. But the principle still applies today. Stealing land is a violation of this commandment. Animals, Exodus 22, verse 1. If a man steals an ox or a sheep and kills it or steals, sells it, he shall repay five oxen for an ox and four sheep for a sheep. So if you steal what belongs to others, then you had to pay, actually under the Old Testament law, the civil law, uh, you had to pay even more back to them for this violation of their rights, of ownership of this animal. And then I think this payment in wages is interesting, Deuteronomy 25. You shall not have in your bag two kinds of weights, a large and a small. You shall not have in your home two kinds of measures, a large and a small. A full and fair weight you shall have, a full and fair measure you shall have, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. So if you go to the market and you're selling one thing, you can't use a large weight to measure what people should pay you. And then you go to somebody else's booth and you buy from them. You use your small weight to measure how much you're to give them. You're stealing. You're using two different weights. Uh, You are um, stealing in payments. You're not being honest. And then Leviticus 19.13, you shall not oppress your neighbor or rob him. The wages of a hired worker shall not remain with you all night until the morning. What he's saying is if you keep somebody's wages overnight into the morning, you're stealing that from them. You're not allowing them to use the fruit of their labor, that what you have paid them or, or what is owed them. You're making them wait a night until it is given to them. And that is robbing your employees of their wages. And I think we can see parallel things today. Obviously, this is a civil law talking about this underlying moral component. So that doesn't bind us today. We don't have to pay people day of today. But the principle does, right? We need to pay our employees quickly, promptly. We can't hold on to their wages. We can't hold it over their head. We can't say, oh, next week, oh, next week, oh, next week, uh, next month. No, we must pay them on time, pay them regularly. They need to know when it's coming. They need to be able to expect when that money shows up in their bank account. So we, this requires payment and wages that is fair and equal and equitable and on time. Um, so let's talk about this, this context. Questions here? We're, we're obviously moving into application for us. Yeah. Uh, so let's go back to the idea of ownership. Uh, there seems to be like a modern notion that like land never really belongs to anyone because you can just keep tracing it back to it was just stolen and stolen. Yeah, right, and stolen right. Again. But also, like intellectual property, like some cultures don't value ownership right. of right. that. So. Yeah, yeah. So, so I think there's there, we have two issues here. One is, I think the most immediate context is um, what what I have been given. I'm to steward that for God's glory. So, if I'm in a culture that doesn't value intellectual property, and I'm creating intellectual property. 
you know what, I, I'm still here to steward that gift God's given me, whether it's, you know, uh, scientific to create whatever new medicine or whatever, whether it's artistic to create new um, music, whatever. Um, I'm still to steward that, even though I'm in a culture that doesn't value intellectual property rights, I'm still to steward that gift in a way that glorifies God. Um, if I'm in a culture that does value intellectual property um, and I can apply for copyright, I can get a patent for what I've created, then I'm to use that. Um, that's an additional resource that God has given me. I'm in a culture that, that values that, so I now have to steward that resource as well for God's glory. So I, I want to first put it on the personal level where um, I, I, I'm in a society and, and in a culture that is going to appropriate different rights in different places. So even, even in America, think about um, water rights. Who owns the rights to water that's going through? Like, you go to the West Coast, very different than East Coast, the uh, way they look at water rights. And so we have to think about rights and ownership in different ways depending on where we're living. And so we're kind of stuck where we are, personally, in the way I use what the Lord's given me. Now, if we want to take a step back and say, okay, we want to look from a public policy perspective, how does the Eighth Commandment direct us in a way to think about rights and ownership, water rights, intellectual property? property rights, you know, these kinds of things. How does it direct us to think about it? Is that maybe where you're getting at more of the big public policy? Oh, yeah, think? just, you know, like land, for instance. Right. Because it talks about moving the landmark. Well, right. You know. And there are still people in the Middle East who are nomadic, and they have no land that belongs to them, but they go um, around uh, and, and live at different lands all over the place, you know, depending on the time of the year. You go to Scotland, and their understanding of land rights is different because they believe that anybody can stay on your property overnight. You can't kick people off your property. If somebody's hiking and they want to stay on your property, you have to legally allow them to stay on your property. Now, in America, that would not fly, right? It's my land. This is my fence. You stay off, right? So it's different different places. And I'm not sure that I can go to the Eighth Commandment and say, you must have a particular view of property rights. But I do think it does. It is um, undergirded with the reality that there are property rights, what those particularly are and how they're defined in each culture, I think, is going to be a little bit different. Um, the way different people think about that and want to go in that direction, or which direction they want to go. Um, so that was maybe very unhelpful. I know some people will come. I, I, I'm, I'm couching this because I know some people will come to the Eighth Commandment and say. Therefore, we must have absolute right to private property. We have absolute right to land. Absolutely, like I think there's a principle there, but I don't know that we can say absolutely this is what um, public policy on property rights should be. Um, so maybe I'm spinning my wheels thinking about something nobody else is thinking about. Um, maybe I'm wildly confusing here, but I'm maybe responding to an objection that somebody that nobody has. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That depends on how the, the king and queen in that particular realm attribute <laughs> property rights, right? That's up to you and to determine what property rights mean in your household. Um, but, yeah, but, but I do think that's helpful for kids to understand. Uh, you need to have a, a, a rule like, okay, this is your toy, so you can use it whenever you want, no matter who's using it. Is that your rule? Or is your rule, hey, all of what we have is from God, and we're all to share all of what we have. And maybe you do have a preference because it was given to you. Maybe you do have a preference in getting it at times. But if your sister wants to play with it, you must you know, let her. Your, so we, we, we're negotiating that even as parents, and we have to figure out how we're going to do this and what's fair and right and equitable. And, and so kids know what to expect. 
Yeah, Jared. So it's, it's, a lot of these words are definitely reinforcing the concept of, yes, you have a right to property. But then they also command you to take that property and to share it with those in need. Exactly. If I have a pile of food here and I'm starving, That's right. um, property rights at some point become moot. That's right. The starving people are going to That's right. take it from me because they understand there's a moral law being broken there. Exactly. Because property rights is not ultimately for me to, to, you know, have the biggest toys, the most stuff, the most property. It's so that I can use this resource for God's glory, to share with others. That's exactly right, Jared. Well said. Yeah, Bruce? It may be too abstract, but with the Leviticus thing, when, yeah, I drew income from seven different states during the times of our career. In Delaware, there was a unique law that said you could pay an employee once a month. Hmm. It just happened to be four weeks late. So we got paid at the end of the month for the first of the month. If I'm a Christian employer in Delaware, the law enables me to do that. Yeah. It's still sort of against God's moral code to hold money from an employee. I mean, if, if yeah. the normal yeah. cycle is every two weeks because you're not paying people daily. Right, right. There's still a moral code. Yeah, that's right. That's different from civil law for those it, who just know Christ. Right? Well said, well said, very well said. And, and I think, you know, just... Does that mean Christians have to pay every every two weeks? No, but I think you need to know your employees, right? Know what their needs are, um, and and yeah, at a point like if you're paying every ninety days, well, that's weird. That's ridiculous. Um, no, let's not do that. I think that's probably crossing a line. Um, but do we have to pay every fourteen days? I don't know. But you need to know your employees. If they need that money, if they are living paycheck to paycheck and need that money, well, maybe one you can help help them learn to steward and help them learn to save and all that, uh, and work towards that goal. But if they need that money, give them the money. Um, no matter what the law says, um, and, and that's well said, Bruce. Our obligation goes beyond the legal obligations that we have. That's well said. Um, let's go to uh, some other some other um, points here that we can work through. Um, as we look at particularly applying this to us, both the negative and the positive. So again, the central value, this, this, this central principle that's, that's undergirding this is that all resources, monetary or otherwise, are God's that he has given to us to steward for a time for his glory. This is yours for a time for God's purposes. It's, it's, this is why we started with the parable. The, the, the master has left his resources with us and he's gone, actually it says for a very long time. And then he comes back. And what will we, will we have found to do with his resources? We will be held accountable for what we did with his resources, with what he's left for us. For some reason, this did not update when I, the cloud, missed, missed, missed some, uh, missed some uh, data this time. So other examples of violating the Eighth Commandment. Um, I just want to walk through a few of these. Uh, stealing employer's time. Um, I remember reading a sermon from Martin Lloyd-Jones, I think a sermon on Ephesians, where he said, look, um, we love our neighbors and we want to speak to them of the gospel. We want to invite them to church. We want to respond to their objections they have to the faith. Uh, we want to walk, talk to our coworkers about this. Um, but if you are doing this on the clock, you're stealing from your employer. If you are spending an hour a day going door to door evangelizing in your office space, you're stealing from your employer. He said, as a Christian, you are violating the Eighth Commandment. You may not do that. Now, 
go to, go to drinks after work or have them over later, uh, go, go to breakfast beforehand, have a Bible study over lunch, right? Maybe your lunchtime is the time you go around door to door and talk to them. Great, fantastic. But do not steal from your employer. And there's all kinds of ways that people steal from their employers. It's amazing the studies that come out how much, um, uh, how much um, money employees do steal, whether it's office supplies or whatever. Um, so we need to be conscious of stealing employers' time uh, because ultimately we're stealing their money and resources. Uh, also, stealing intellectual property. We've talked about that earlier. I remember, um, I, I don't remember, late elementary school, middle school, I went over to a friend's house like, hey, there's this new thing called Napster and you can go download any song you've ever wanted for free. Wow, this is amazing. And so, uh, yeah, Brandon, you're, Brandon, you don't know what Napster is, I'm sure. But, um, but I, and so I went home. I downloaded so many songs, so much music. So it was amazing, all this for free. And I realized, oh, that's illegal, right? <laughs> it's illegal. I can't do that. I'm stealing the intellectual property of other people. Um, and we're in a, in a culture that values that. And, and thankfully so. We're incentivizing creation, incentivizing these things. Um, and so I went and deleted my Napster library. Eventually, it took me some time, but I did. Um, and uh, they, it was shut down. Now there's now it's, now it's more difficult to do that, uh, thankfully. But we need to be cognizant of intellectual property. Um, second, uh, third here is oppression taking advantage of the weak and vulnerable. We're stealing. Um, I think of things that, you know, maybe we're getting into some gray area, but um, I, don't, I don't see them in Ohio, so maybe they're not legal here. But these, like, payday loan places, um, they were everywhere in Tennessee. And they... It, Charge exorbitant interest on um, on on short uh, short loans, short term loans uh, for your your paycheck. You know to kind of get you from paycheck to paycheck. Which okay, sometimes you need that, and I'm not against it in theory. But the way that they prey on people, um, the way that they exploit the poor um, who aren't needy in that moment, the way they exploit them is wrong. Is a violation of God's law. Um, Again, I'm not saying everything they do is wrong all the time. I would just have a really hard time being involved in one of those. Um, extortion and bribery, violating the Eighth Commandment. Uh, unlawful calling. So if you're, you're working in a job that is illegal, whether it's morally wrong or whether it's wrong uh, under the laws of your government, wherever you live, that is a violation of the Eighth Commandment. It's unlawful. You're, you're making an income and a living on something that is unlawful. And uh, so these actually, these last three are ex, uh, quotes directly from the larger catechism that's expanding on, on uh, these things. And the last one says, idleness, prodigality, and wasteful gaming. So idleness, if you do not work, if you're being idle, if you're, if you're frittering your time away, that's a violation of the Eighth Commandment. We are called to work, as Paul says. We're called to work. That doesn't mean necessarily working for financial gain, but working for the good of others, investing in other people, whether it's in the home, outside the home, whatever. We are all called to use our resources to build other people up. Uh, prodigality, being, um, being extravagant, over the top, wasteful in our spending. These things are, are a violation of the Eighth Commandment. And then wasteful gaming. Wasteful gaming. This one's fascinating because um, the question always comes up of gambling. Is gambling a violation of the Eighth Commandment? And um, this is what this is getting at. This is the way, one way of speaking of gambling at this time. Um, but it's interesting, they don't just say gaming or gambling. They say wasteful gaming. 
Um, and I, I actually did some work, look into this. I'm like, okay, is gaming speaking of like hunting and you're wasteful in what you're, you're hunting? Like, you know, I, I think that probably actually is a violation of the Eighth Commandment as well. If you're hunting and wasteful and you know, not using what you've killed in a productive way, I do think that's probably a violation of the Eighth Commandment. But no, it's actually not the way this term was used at the time in the 1600s. This term was used to speak of gambling um, and cards or other ways. And so um, I want to read what one theologian, who I think he's, he's pretty spot on here, how the way he talks about gambling. Um, and he said, there's a number of arguments against gambling um, and saying gambling is wrong per se, in and of itself. Um, arguments against. It can be linked to the worship of fate or chance. I do think we see this um, in certain things like lottery tickets. You know, it's it's a it's a worship of fate, chance. Um, uh, anyway, I could go into that. Uh, second, it can be psychologically addictive. Absolutely. Third, it can involve covetousness. No doubt. I mean, one of the one of the things of a, a lottery system is to say, hey, get get rich quick. That's that's people are hoping to get out of their problems in life by buying this lottery ticket. Um, and so there's, there's a covetousness there. Um, fourth, it can be a waste of time and money, hence a cause of poverty. This really is getting uh, at the Eighth Commandment issues here. A waste of time and money. You're wasting resources God has given you. And I think that that's a very strong argument. It can be thought of as a substitute for useful work. Again, violation of the Fourth Commandment. Because um, we are called to work, and then also you, you see all these um, studies and interviews with people who have won the lottery and how I've never heard a story of it going well. Somebody winning a, a large windfall going well. They did not earn that money. They didn't earn it. And so when they come into it, they don't know how to spend it. Um, and then, they, then they, they ruin their lives often. Um, and they lose all their family and friends. And there's terrible stories. Um, it can be thought of as a substitute for useful work. Um, and some do. Even where legal, it often falls under the control of organized crime. It's another argument. Um, but this, this theologian, um, I think he's right to point out that all of these things are, the, are, gambling tends towards these things. Gambling in and of itself isn't doing all of these things. It's not necessarily covetous. It's not necessarily worshiping fate or chance. I think it's tending toward that direction. And maybe in light of the language of the catechism, that means it's wrong in and of itself because it tendeth unto that direction, uh, tendeth unto those things. Um, but what this, what this um, theologian ethicist says, um, because it doesn't necessarily entail any of these, it could be okay to consider going to a, a casino. It could be okay to consider recreation. If you go in, I have $40. That's for recreation. I'm going to go um, to a casino, and I'm going to spend $40. This theologian would say, that's okay. If you're not, if you're, it's for entertainment, it's for, um, for dog-eared for these kinds of purposes, and that's the way you're going to spend it, that's okay. Now, I'm saying this is somebody else's view. I'm, I'm not exactly sure how I come down on it, so that's how I'm getting out of this and not telling you uh, what I think. But I think there's good arguments on both sides um, of this. Um, I'm, I'm sure, I think at the very best, we can say it's unwise to be involved in gambling. If not, in most cases, 99.99%, it is immoral and wrong. What does it say about the 
the stock market for investing. Yeah, that's right. For the same purposes. That's right. Exactly. Yeah. So um, I think some of the theologians will make a difference between make a um, make a distinction between games of chance, where there is literally no skill. There, it's a hundred percent chance. And in fact, you know the the. Um, what are those things called? Are you, the machines you pull the lever? Is it slot machines? Right. So, you know, slot machines. Those those kinds of things. They're all stacked against you. All the odds are against you. They're they're rigged to make you lose money. That's why they're there in the first place. So, people. Some will distinguish between um, chance and things that are that are rigged against you versus a legitimate investment, which the stock market can be considered a legitimate investment into other people's resources. You're making a capital investment into other people other companies who are doing things that should be, we hope, are productive, but we never know. It's just like you open your own business, so your own coffee shop. I don't know if my $20,000 is going to pay off in, in more income or not, but I'm putting $20,000 down, and I'm going to sign my lease. I'm going to buy the coffee machine, rent the coffee machines, and I'm hoping it's going to pay an investment. I don't know, but I'm investing in a good business. In the same way, you're investing in the stock market. You're investing in a business that's hoping to earn returns. So I think I think we could think very coldly about the stock market, stock market, and maybe rightfully so. Say it's all chance. You don't know. You're going to win. And you're going to lose. Um, or you can think of it as I'm investing in in these companies. These are real entities and people on the ground. Yeah, Bruce. I'll... But hold it. The, how about the ten talents and the five talents? Yeah, I, I didn't bury it in the ground. I mean, five years ago, if you would have put the talent in the ground, that's right, you would have earned zero. Right, and exactly. You put the talent in an investment, and you make five percent. Right, that's right. That's I mean, right. You, you, that's a different game. And and th- and that's where even even the the master comes back and says, "Why didn't you just put it with the bank and get your basic standard interest on it?" Right. Yeah. What's that? The Silicon Valley Bank. Yeah, the Silicon Valley Bank. Why did you put in the Silicon Valley Bank? Um, but and that's why there's also there's a lot of wisdom in how we use this. Are we going to diversify? Are we going to put all our eggs in one basket? You know, if we put money in Silicon Valley Bank and it and it crashes and burns, do we have money elsewhere? Um, I think there's a lot of wisdom and stewarding. Um, and, and in fact, um, I don't. I think I'll get to this in a minute. Um, one of the uh, positive requirements of the Eighth Commandment is that we have due care in our use of our resources, and so. So that's where we don't just go invest in whatever you know the, the latest greatest thing is. Um, we have to have exercise due care with our resources. So I have a question about unlawful policies. Yeah. So, so back in uh, junior high, high school, I used to work on jobs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Rush, sometimes on the regular. Yeah. The, uh, the arrangement wasn't necessarily legal. It was okay. Paid under the table. Is this something that I shouldn't encourage my children to do? Yeah, so the question is, um, yeah, so can kids, children work kind of under the table? Um, I would say I think we need to do whatever we can to make sure our work and employment arrangements are legal. Um, I don't think we can encourage kids to go work a job and make $50,000 and not pay taxes on it. Um, I think that's that's wrong and, and a violation of our of our a violation of the fifth commandment as well. Um, our our government we're violating their laws. So I I do think we need to be very careful about how we do that. Um, how it looks in every situation I'm not sure. I don't know the laws and all the particulars. But yes, we need to be striving to we need to be endeavoring to conduct all of our businesses in a legal way, even kids. Scott used an expression last week with regard to adultery and said, avoid all appearances of evil. Mm-hmm. It strikes me that there's a parallel 
yeah. thing here that says avoid all appearances that lead to sin or all right. ways that in their extreme mm -hmm. could mm -hmm. could take us in the wrong place. Right. And I can't find the exact words, but yeah. that's what yeah. we're really saying. Yep. If it looks wrong and it can lead mm -hmm. to to that which we know outright is black and white, right. so right. it's really like avoid all appearances yeah. of gray. Well, and, and it's interesting because the confession or the catechism does use the language. Um, it forbids whatsoever doth or may unjustly hinder our own or neighbor's wealth or our estate. So these things that may hinder um, the wealth of us or others is something that we that should be avoided. Um, let me look at this last uh, this last um, thing here. I was going to open it up for some discussion here, but I'm going to just read through this, and then if there's questions, we'll go there. Um, how do we procure and further the wealth and outward estate of ourselves and others? That's the positive command here. Um, and here's some examples that come from the larger catechism um, and, and from, from me as well. Um, so you don't know which one's which. Uh, if it's not good, it's probably from me. If it's good, it's from them. Um, truth, faithfulness, and justice in contracts and commerce. How do we preserve, how do, how do we seek the, the wealth and, of, of others? Um, truth and contracts and fulfilling our duty in contracts um, and justice in contracts and commerce. Uh, next, rendering to everyone his due, giving to people what is due them. And that goes back to wages, give it to them, give them their due when it's due. Um, and we can't, uh, we can't play favorites, we can't play, be nepotistic. We have to give everybody their due and give them what is earned and what is right. Restitution of goods unlawfully detained from the right owners thereof. That's not my language, clearly. Um, restitution. If, if you steal or accidentally take, you must give back uh, to those that you've taken from. Restitution is required. It is required for, um, for, for actual repentance. If you're repenting, you will, you will give restitution for the harm you've caused, whether it's financial or otherwise. Um, you will seek to restore the person back to whole. Uh, the use, careful use of commerce. So that's a, a close paraphrase or a, 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 a loose paraphrase of a longer statement in the catechism. Um, but this goes back to the question of, okay, investing, how do I, is that a violation? Um, we need to be careful in our use of our money. Um, we can't be, we can't, we, we cannot be uh, wild and free. We must do things carefully. Um, with thought beforehand and encouraging in others of the giftings the Lord has given them. That's the blessing others. Whether it's blessing them financially, whether it's blessing them with encouragement, whether it's blessing them by giving opportunities to use their giftings, um, we are called to bless others in all that God has given them, to, to call out those things that are, that are good and beautiful and wonderful about them and about what the Lord has given them. And so this is not simply, you got your stuff, they got their stuff, don't touch their stuff. That's not the Eighth Commandment. It's a much further, it's a much fuller encouragement to us to say, hey, somebody over here, you have something you can bless them with. You can give them an opportunity to shine. You can give them financial resources that, that they need at this moment. Um, and this gets back to our community as, as Christians. You see um, in the early church uh, in Acts, we see recorded that they shared all things in common. Now, that wasn't, a, that wasn't uh, an abolishing of the Eighth Commandment to say, well, nothing was anybody's. Because we see later, people had property that they were selling and lying about and getting struck down dead for. Um, and 
was a joke, Ananias and Sapphira. Not really a joke, but Ananias and Sapphira. Okay, one person got it. Thank you. Um, and so they, had all, they shared all things in common, yes, but the point of that was to say they looked out for all of the needs of everybody in their community. And that's what the Christian community is about. We're not here to, to take from other people. We're here to be a blessing to all of us and to one another. Welfare system. Yeah, we have a welfare system. Actually keeps people mm-hmm. dependent on right. That's right. welfare. So yeah. at what point, when, when you're aware that people are actually manipulating that system, yes. how do you respond? Yeah, right. Yeah, so um, I think if you're manipulating the welfare system in the same way, if you're manipulating the tax code, um, if you're doing it lawfully, if you're using lawful mechanisms there, that's great. You're allowed to use those lawful mechanisms. But as soon as you start lying about you know, disability or lying about these issues to get resources from the government, that's a violation of this commandment, violation of, of the, the ninth commandment, telling the truth. Um, and so that's clearly against God's law. And so, yeah, there's government assistance and support. And you know what? It's, it's a, been a blessing to a lot of people. And we can talk about public policy, but if it's available for you, it's okay and good to use it. The Lord's provided that for you, and so you need to be a, a steward of it. Last comment, and we're way over. Well, actually, we're not way over. Uh, we're just a minute over. Great. And then we'll close. Uh, not only government or uh, things like that, but also parents uh, providing That's right. undue help for their children. That's right. They need to actually learn. And so That's right. I think it can be a time when help becomes harmful. It does. And, and our deacons our deacons wrestle with that, right? That's a hard thing. How far do we go to help somebody? Um, we want to help people if they're really in need, but how do we know if they're really in need? Because sometimes um, they, you know, they maybe need to themselves learn to be better stewards. So I know it's a hard thing that our deacons struggle with, and uh, I think they do a great job at, at erring on the side of being gracious, um, but also realizing there are these other, other issues at, at stake. Um, eighth commandment, thou shalt not steal. Um, let us close in prayer. Lord, you have blessed us with abundance and you have given us so much. And we pray that we would be better stewards to use these resources to glorify and honor you. May we never be guilty of unbelief that you are not good and that you have not given us everything that we need for life and godliness. Help us, O Lord, now as we worship you, to praise you for you are good and kind. Thank you for Christ. In his name we pray, amen. Go in peace. Thank you for listening. For more information or to connect with us, visit us at RedeemerOhio.org.